You are Locked On NFL, your daily NFL podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, welcome to a Wednesday edition of Locked On NFL. I am Tony Wiggins, and this season, get football on your time with NFL Game Pass. See all the action from every game with full game replays. You can also replay an entire game and catch all of the plays in just 45 minutes with condensed games. Go to NFL.com slash Game Pass to start your free trial today. NFL Game Pass where football never stops. What else doesn't stop is my interaction with my homeboy from Cincinnati, James Rapian. What's up? I'm What's sorry. going on, Tony? See, see, I did it again. It's yeah. James Rapine. And I keep <laughs> saying Rapian because I don't know why I keep doing that, man, because it just spelled like that. But I, it's James Rapine, man. And it's Rapine, man. I just got to learn how to say Rapine. How you doing, brother? You got it. See, you got it down, Tony. I'm doing well, my man. I'm uh we were excited for week one. I think week one delivered, and uh, I can't wait for week two. Yeah, man, week two is going to be something else. Uh, real quick, the narratives. Narratives have have started shifting after one week in the NFL. People always <laughs> want to just jump to conclusions. All of a sudden now, it wasn't Tom Brady. It was Bill Belichick. You know, we're going to talk about all of this stuff. All of a sudden, the narratives – all of a sudden, the Jaguars aren't tanking anymore in my neighborhood, right? I mean, <laughs> now they're going to the Super Bowl. So uh, why don't we get down to it? Let's talk about Tom Brady. Let's talk about uh, his struggles uh, in New Orleans. And, and really, the story has been the way uh, Bruce Arians has decided that he's going to deal with it. He, he's not going to have kid gloves. If Tom Brady screws up, he's going to say Tom Brady screwed up. And Tom Brady, to his credit, is tongue-in-cheek, and he says, I'm used to it. So Tom Brady is basically joking about it, and he didn't play well. I think it's more uh, of a credit to New Orleans' defense than it is Tom Brady uh, not being good. New Orleans just was ready to play the other day, and sometimes we just have to give credit where credit is due. I agree, and I think people just suddenly forgot that the New Orleans Saints are arguably the best team in the NFC. Like, did, did we did we forget that they've been really close within inches of going to the Super Bowl uh, a couple of years ago and three years ago and, and last year, not as much, but heck, they went down to the wire with the Vikings last season in the playoffs. So we expect the Saints to be there at the end of the year. And given what happened this offseason, no in-person stuff until training camp, of course Tom Brady and the, the Buccaneers struggled some. It, it's, it's funny, Tony. I feel, and it's almost like I have deja vu, and I get the Buccaneers don't have the – uh, the cachet or the resume that the New England Patriots have, but Tom Brady does. And there's been plenty of times when he's gotten off to a rough start in week one, and what happened? He came alive. So the Buccaneers are losing uh, to a Saints team that's arguably uh, the best in the NFC and one of the best in the league. It doesn't concern me that much. I, I think that they need to make some adjustments. There are some things they need to clean up. But do they have talent? Absolutely they have a lot of talent. I was impressed with what I saw from their defense at times, uh, and I would not be shocked at all, and I still expect Brady and the Bucks to be there at the end of the year uh, and be right in the thick of things, not only in the playoffs, but, but mentioned among the, the contending teams here in the NFC. Yeah, I don't think folks understand sometimes uh, how, uh, you know, when you're, when you're mixing 
you know, so many different aspects and parts and pieces, especially when you have a guy like Brady. Somebody said that Brady had to learn learn a new playbook, and I, I, I was driving when I heard it. Uh, I was listening to a national sports guy. He said, my concern is that Tom Brady has to learn a new playbook, and I almost wrecked because I'm like, the last thing I'm concerned about is Tom Brady learning a new playbook. You know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah. You know, we, we Kurt Warner – was bagging groceries and the next year he learned the playbook and won the MVP and took a team to the Super Bowl. I'm not worried about Tom Brady learning a new playbook. What I'm, what I'm more concerned with is guys get being on the same page. I saw Ocho Cinco go to new England and, and Ocho Cinco couldn't get on the same page with Tom Brady. So it's not, mm-hmm. it's not about learning a playbook. It's about learning each other. It's about guys actually understanding and communicating with each other more than anything. And I think right now you saw him and Mike Evans. You saw Brady and Mike Evans talking. You saw those guys over there trying to get on the same page and, and, and they were playing against the team that James Rapine, they, they know each other very, very well. So you saw a team that's very familiar with each other against a team that wasn't very familiar with each other. And then you saw the score indicate that at the end. Absolutely. I mean, what did New Orleans do? They relied on Alvin Kamara early. I mean, the, the Buccaneers took their very first possession right downfield, 85 yards, nine plays, score a touchdown. And the Saints, they didn't panic. They went to their bread and butter, their running back that they just extended last week and a guy that they're going to lean on all year. Look, the, it's a tough matchup for, for, for Tampa Bay because, because, again, they don't have uh, the rapport that the Saints have. And, and starting with a division opponent, I know we focus on Brady and Breeze, it was just a tough ask. And I'm, if I'm a Tampa fan, I'm not panicking today. On the flip side, if I'm a Saints fan, I feel good. I, I feel relatively good about everything, you know, with, with everything that's gone on. Uh, Kamara looked great again. Mike, Michael Thomas obviously dealing with that high ankle sprain, but you won against a high-powered team, and Thomas didn't do much. Right. And how many times could you have said that last year? It was Cook. It was Kamara. Emmanuel Sanders had a touchdown. So I think that aspect uh, certainly uh, is something worth noting, and, and it's a, uh, a positive if you're a Saints fan today. Well, speaking of overreactions, let's talk about Brady's old team. All of a sudden, Cam Newton goes up to New England, and Bill Belichick is giving all kinds of praise to him that he never gave to Tom Brady. They go out and basically look like they're running a wishbone, and they win 21 to – 10 or 21, 11, 21, 14, whatever the score was. They beat Miami. And all of a sudden now, people that thought the Patriots were going to be awful realized that Bill Belichick and Josh McDaniels did not forget how to coach football and that Cam Newton, if he's healthy, is still an MVP-level type quarterback. And now that narrative has changed. All of a sudden now people realize, well, New England isn't going to be a pushover. It's like, duh, what did you think was going to happen when you get Cam Newton and Bill Belichick together? I absolutely expected them to, to be relevant, to beat Miami. That, that's the other thing. They played Miami. Right. <laughs> like they, they, did you not expect Cam Newton and the Patriots to handle business? Look, to me, it's never been about Cam Newton's talent, right? And he's not the most accurate quarterback in the world, but he's arguably you know, one of the three or four most physically gifted signal callers on the planet because of what he did. He can run. He's giant. He's hard to tackle. He, you know, he can move. Like a, like a running back, but he's 6'5 and thick and in great shape and motivated 
and he's got the best coach of all time and a great offensive coordinator and Josh McDaniels and a really, really good defense on the other side, uh, you know, on the other side of the ball there. So, of course, New England's going to be a problem. No doubt about it. I wouldn't be shocked at all if they win the AFC East. Uh, that being said, I think the Bills will certainly have something to say about it. And I'm not going to overreact after one week. I expected the Patriots to beat the Dolphins. I didn't necessarily expect the Buccaneers to beat the Saints. I thought they were capable. But, yeah, it is funny to, to see people say, ah, Tom's done, and look at Bill just thriving. Well, he walked into <laughs> Cam Newton on a league minimum deal. I mean, that's, right. that's stealing. You know, I don't know how the NFL let that happen, but they did. And, uh, and good for Cam Newton because I think he's going to take advantage of the opportunity. He is going to take advantage of it. Well, we got some people already on the chopping block. Not really, but sort of. Uh, Pete Axtown once called the Jets the big green fungus in New York, and they're looking like that already. And already people, they man, people want that coach's head already. Adam Gaze is in trouble. I, I mean, really. There were people that were wondering. People are asking for Todd Bowles to come back already. I mean, it is bad. They they look inept. They don't look good. Jamal Adams, Jamal Adams is saying he he's never had a really good coach and all of this stuff. The Jets look terrible. And already, folks are saying that Mike McCarthy in Dallas looks just like Jason Garrett. It's not good that after the first week, folks are saying that it's the same old, same old, and nothing's changed, is it? It's awful. And and part of that is is we overreact to one week, and and also part of that is I think the Bills are legit. And Adam Gase, I never liked the hire, never bought into it. Me either. I, I, I didn't think he was – did he thrive in Miami or did he get rid of talent in Miami? Because I remember him getting rid of talent and clashing with top players. And I look at that offense, and the offensive line, not good. Sam Darnold still makes questionable decisions. He, he doesn't appear to be growing, doesn't have any elite outside weapons. Uh, Le'Veon Bell, I still think, is a really high-end talent, but clearly him and Gase – don't get along and he's not really a good fit in that offense right now. It's just, it's ugly for the jets and it was an ugly loss. And I, I honestly, I thought they would play better. I expected them to play better, maybe lose to the bills, but have a better week one showing. And it just, it wasn't there. And you know, they're one of the, the many teams. I think the Cowboys a little underwhelming. Here's a take though for you, Tony. Are, are we sure Dak is that dude? Like, are, are we sure? Because th this is the same guy that lost to, to Carson Wentz and a bunch of, bunch of practice squad players with the, the division on the line last year. And this year, I, I see plenty of weapons. And, you know, at some point, it, you know, we're going to blame McCarthy too. Well, we already blamed Garrett. So how long does this go before you look at that? And you're like, all right, he's good, but maybe he's not going to carry the offense. That's a good question. We're going to talk about Dak and we'll discuss, you mentioned Carson Wentz. We got some Carson Wentz stuff. Trubisky was almost put in that same box too. Maybe it would have been if Stroma, uh, if uh, DeAndre Swift had caught a ball. And uh, Mr. Haskins is off the heap as well as Gardner Minshew, Derek Carr. Those guys they got a reprieve for an extra week. We discuss all of that stuff in just a second here on Locked On NFL. But first, a word from NFL Game Pass. Get football on your time with NFL Game Pass. You can catch every snap from every game with full game replays and see all the plays in just 45 minutes with condensed games. You can relive all of the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout starts from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle all in one place. 
NFL Game Pass is the only place you can replay every game all season long. You also learn from the league's best players with over 40 NFL Game Pass film session episodes. Go inside the game from a player's perspective as they break down the game's concepts and techniques. Learn from the best like Deshaun Watson, Stephon Gilmore, Devontae Adams, and many more. NFL Game Pass also provides access to the entire NFL Films archive. Go to nfl.com slash game pass to start your free trial today. NFL Game Pass, where football never stops. Let's continue that conversation, Tony, with Dak Prescott. Look, it's one week. I'm not going to overreact. And I actually think that people were undervaluing the Rams a bit. And clearly Sean McVay, especially early in that game, had a, a really good game plan offensively. He did. Which, we're, we're, I, again, I think we're underrating the Rams a bit. Uh, maybe not now after they beat Dallas. But Dak, how do you feel about him because I think people just assume he's going to end up being, you know, this top five, top 10 guy. And maybe he just isn't that. I think he's really good, but maybe our expectations are too high because of the star on his helmet and not the player itself. I like Dak Prescott as a quarterback. I've never put him in the top 10. I've always thought that he was somewhere between seven and 12. I think he's better than Kirk Cousins because I think he has those legs that he gives you. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Bear fans would say that if you make Mitch Trubisky as good as Dak Prescott, they'll take that. I think he's better than Jimmy Garoppolo. The mm-hmm. thing is, is though, when you play for the Dallas Cowboys, are those guys I just mentioned, is that good enough for the Dallas Cowboys and for that star? See, Dak Prescott falls to me in the same category that the Dallas Cowboys fall into. The Dallas Cowboys haven't won anything since 1994. But we talk about the Dallas Cowboys as if they are the New England Patriots, and they're not. The Dallas Cowboys haven't won anything in 26 years. They act like they have, though. And I'm not trying to alienate the fan base. I'm just speaking truth, and the facts are the facts. They they talk as if, and they carry themselves, and this is a good thing for them, that they carry themselves as if they have this winning tradition. Well, my children, I have all of my kids are in their 20s, and I got one that's 30 they haven't seen the Dallas Cowboys host the Lombardi Trophy. They don't even know what that's like. So we sort of talk about Dak Prescott in the same vein that we talk about the Cowboys. I think the Cowboys as a franchise need to figure it out. And Dak Prescott is, to me, the mirror image as an individual of what the Dallas Cowboys are as a franchise. That means we boost him up to be more than what he really is. Absolutely. They're in prove-it mode. Like, to to me, Dak, prove-it mode, the Cowboys – Prove it mode in a very winnable division. Philly looked awful, right? And I know we're going to get into Dwayne Haskins, and I thought he was impressive. And maybe Washington, you know, could evolve here and be, you know, a problem in that NFC East. But the Giants were underwhelming at times, you know, most of the time on Monday Night Football. I think that, you know, if if Dallas can't win this division this year, then what are you? Because you're loaded. You paid Zeke. uh, You you know, you've added multiple – yeah, big contracts or big extensions for some of these guys in on your defense at some point you got to be able to do it and put it together and, and there were a lot of people on the Cowboys bandwagon and I, again I like the Mike McCarthy hire I, I thought it was a fine hire it wasn't flashy right that you know they didn't go out uh, to Norman and you know get get the, the hottest coach or anything like that no they went out and got a, a Super Bowl champ but I don't know. It just, it didn't feel right. You know, after a full off season, you would assume with CD lamb in there and those guys, 
that they would be able to perform. And I, I just, I wonder, you know, if eight and eight happens again, what do you do? Do you commit to Dak? Do you commit big money to him? Or do you try to retool things? Do you, do you look at Zeke? I mean, what, because that looked like an eight and eight team to me. And I know it's only one week Yeah. Uh, it, it, and you can't panic. That's an overreaction, I guess, by me, but whew. it really depends on their, their uh, non-divisional schedule. But I'll go back to what you said. I think the Rams, I think we're devaluing the Rams a little bit. I will say this, that offensive pass interference call by the book, it's, it's legit. Th- that call doesn't get made and, or they kick the field goal early. That's a tie ball game at the very least. So mm-hmm. um, they're going to win the division. I, Philly's a mess right now because of injuries on the offensive line. Wow, you think they're going to win the division? I'll, I'll say I'll take the field. Yeah, yeah. Well, the reason why is because I think they're supremely talented. I think the Giants are are awful. I saw a stat that I could not believe. The Giants over the last three years have the worst record in the NFL, and that includes an zero and sixteen year by Cleveland, and that blew my mind. And Dave Gettleman is another one that's probably going to be looking over his shoulder for the Turk. Uh, they're going to ask him for his playbook. You know what I'm saying? But mm-hmm. the thing is, is I, I think. Philly is in trouble because of injuries. And I think Carson Wentz probably has a little bit of a confidence problem right now. And then uh, with the things going on with the Washington football team, what happened the other day was a very good story. And we're going to talk about Ron Rivera because with all the off-field controversy up there, Ron Rivera has been a beacon of light to that franchise. And Daniel Snyder ought to thank his lucky stars that he has Ron Rivera and that Ron Rivera has given some, uh, some stability to that organization and the way that he's handled Dwayne Haskins, who played really, really well the other day. And Haskins gave a half a halftime speech to that team when he when he found out that Rivera had an IV, a planned IV at halftime. And that defensive line, they have about five guys that could all get 10 sacks. You know what I mean? And and they they went loose. They went crazy on, on Carson Wentz the other day. So because of that and because I will subscribe to the fact that you said the Rams are being devalued and, and, and that Dallas was in a close game with them. I'll give Dallas the benefit of the doubt and say they can go 10 and six. I don't think anybody else in the division is going, I think Washington can go eight and eight, but outside of that, I don't think anybody else is going to be 500. So I, I think Dallas wins by default. Wow. You think the Eagles are going to be that bad. See, because, I think the Eagles will recover. I, I don't think that they're going to, I think they're too well coached. I, I, I like Carson Wentz. I get it. It was a bad half, but I, I think that they, they'll recover a bit. And if you look at the Cowboys schedule, depending on how you, you take it here, they have the Falcons this week, then the Seahawks on the road. So that's going to be a tough game with Russell Wilson. Yeah. And then they have the, the Browns at home. So, I mean, two of those three should be wins. They should be two and two, I would say, going into a, a very winnable game uh, against the Giants on October 11th. Speaking of a game that both teams needed to win, the Detroit game and Chicago game the other day, and, and I wanted to talk to Matt Derry so bad in Detroit. Both of those teams needed to win that game. Um, Matt Patricia needed to win, and uh, Matt Nagy, the battle of the match, by the way, they needed to win the game. Uh, Trubisky needed a good showing. When I looked up and saw the score, I, I said, they're going to pull Mitch. They're going to pull Mitch, and they're going to stick Foles in, or Foles is going to be the starter. Then all of a sudden, I blinked my eye, and I went, and I got me some food, and I got me something to eat, trying to prepare for the 4 o'clock game. And the Bears came back and won, and I couldn't believe it. And I'm like, what in the – what is going on? What in the Billy Sims and Barry Sanders happened in Detroit? 
at the end of that game, Matt Patricia might be in a world of hurt. They they fired Jim Caldwell after the nine and seven season, and Matt Patricia's like nine and nine and twenty three, over uh, a little bit over three, uh, two and a half, two two years and some change. What do you think's going on up there, man? And can they turn it around? He should be in trouble, and, and I get it. You know they should they should have won, and you can argue that. And, and but but here's the thing: it it never should have came down to that. And I I am encouraged by Mitch Trubisky, man. He rallied. I mean, he, he really did. He rallied. You, you think about what they did as a team, three touchdowns. That can, in the fourth quarter, that can change things for this Bears team. Like, that can set the tone for the whole year. Suddenly, everyone buys into Mitch because of what he did in that fourth quarter. You know, dropping the dime to Anthony Miller. I mean, that. It's a great pass. I didn't know he had that in him. You know, I, I know he could run and he could do some of the goal line stuff and play action stuff. The pass to Miller was clutch. And yeah, if, if you're Detroit and you lose that game and, you know, Matt Stafford throws for, for nearly 300 yards, should have had that second touchdown. It's, it's tough to recover from. And, and heck, I remember last year, it was early in the year. I don't know if it was week one or week two, but they lost to Green Bay in a game that they were winning the whole time. And then everything unraveled. Stafford got hurt and it was just a really, really bad year for Detroit. I know they had some guys out. I, I totally get it, but I, I wouldn't be shocked at all if this sets a uh, a bad tone for the Lions because that NFC North's a pretty damn good division. And you know, someone's going to be bad. Someone's going to be a little underwhelming. And, and losing like that, that's uh, that's tough to shake. Well, I'm the host of Locked On Jaguars. You're the host of Locked On Bengals. We got about a minute left. We have to both do it. I'll go first. The Jaguars have a chance to go two and zero this week. They have to go to Nashville to play the team that to me is their ingrown toenail, the Titans, if they win, they really change the narrative of this tanking thing. And they look really, really efficient the other day. Gardner Minshew was 19 for 20. He completed 95% of his passes for three touchdowns. They look really, really good and really, really efficient with 18 rookies on their roster. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable that they pulled that off. And Joe Burrow looked very, very good. And they had a chance to win that game as well. He did. He performed well, considering the circumstances, right? He had an ugly shovel pass interception in the fourth quarter and responded on that final drive going 8 of 11, 70 yards, uh, 84 yards downfield. It, honestly, he looked like Brady does or Breeze does or Rodgers does with the game on the line, just dissected a good charger secondary and pass rush. And unfortunately, the, you talk about offensive pass interference, Green got called for it. Am I, you know, am I too close to it to say? I don't know. I probably wouldn't have called it. I, th but regardless, that was a dime by Burrow. Go back and watch that, that, that throw. And I know it didn't count, but the game-winning touchdown that was a dime by Burrow. Uh, I think Bengals fans have a lot of reasons to be excited. Burrow being one, two, and three. All right. What we're going to do is we're going to talk about some of the rookies, and we're going to talk to a draft expert here in the third segment, talk about some of the rookies and talk about the process, the process that was abbreviated this offseason. And we're going to see if that process is going to be adopted here moving forward, maybe even look at some of the draft prospects that will be in next year's draft. And we'll do that in just a second here on Locked On NFL. The first I want to tell you about Rock Auto, man. Let me tell you who Rock Auto is, first of all. They are a family-oriented company that's been around for two decades and rockauto.com is where you can find all of your car parts and all of your car accessories. Look, me and my family, we love to save money, but we also like to be safe. And we also like to have our cars in the best shape possible. I have a lot of young people that travel 
And I would love to know that we have the correct parts on our cars and the cars are safe. But I am not a repairman and I cannot DIY. I cannot do it myself. So I do have people that do the work for me and I go to rockauto.com to get those parts from that family owned business. Now, I save money and I pass those savings on to my friends and my family and I've been using this company for an awful long time. So what I want you to do is I want you to go on rockauto.com, order your parts, and then in a block where you, they'll ask you, where did you hear from us? How did you hear from us or about us? You put locked on NFL in that box and it establishes that relationship and that connectivity with us. Rockauto.com has been around for two decades and they've taken care of me and my family. And I want you to benefit and let them take care of you and your family. It's rockauto.com. NFL, Locked On NFL. Let's keep things rolling here on Locked On NFL. And what we're going to do every week on the Wednesday show, Tony and I are going to sit down with one of the co-hosts of the Locked On NFL Draft. And with us today is Trevor Sikama. Trevor, man, week one was nuts. One thing that stood out to me, uh, and I appreciate your time, one thing that stood out to me was how many successful rookies there were. From Joe Burrow here in Cincinnati to Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, you know, I, I see a bunch of rookies having success despite not having any preseason games and a really weird offseason. Yeah, man. Well, first of all, it's awesome to be with you guys. I'm excited to join the show, but man, it was fun for the rookies. It felt like Madden out there for me because I'm always somebody who I go out and I buy the Madden game. I go look at the ratings, and when I do my first franchise fantasy draft, it's always rookie heavy. Like I got so many rookies all over the roster and I'm wanting to use these guys in the NFL, figure out how their skill sets work, see how they succeed. And that's what it felt like on Saturday or on, on, on Sunday, really throughout this entire week. And we're seeing offensive coordinators be very willing to give these young guys the ball. If they have the skill sets that they're looking for um, Jacksonville. I mean, that was, their, that was a perfect place. Look how they used LaVisca Chenault, you know, Jay Gruden, I thought that it was going to take a little bit of time. He's the offensive coordinator now in Jacksonville. I thought it was going to take some time for a guy like Chenault to really get in the offense. He's so versatile. He played wildcat quarterback. He played running back, played wide receiver at Colorado. And uh, Jacksonville lined him up at all three spots in game one. I, I, I did not think that that was going to be the case. Chase Young looked like a monster already on Washington's defensive line. And that was already a stacked defensive line. He came in right away, really showed his stuff. I thought he had handled his business very well. Um, another guy that I wanted to shout out was J.K. Dobbins. Now, look, the Baltimore Ravens, they had the game in hand. They were going to win early, and, and that kind of carried throughout the game. But Dobbins ended the game with the most carries. They were wanting to trust to get him on the field, to get those snaps under his belt, to really get him in the swing of things so that they can depend on him later. So those were guys, CJ Henderson as well, going back to Jacksonville. He had a fantastic day as a rookie corner. And I, I cannot stress enough how difficult it is to play rookie corner in the NFL. And he looked like a beast in week one, including shutting T.Y. Hilton down at the end of the game there to clinch. It. And then, of course, Joe Burrow, we could just end there with him. What a fantastic day. I know the Bengals didn't come away with the, with the win, but you couldn't have asked more from a rookie quarterback getting thrown into a situation on one of the worst rosters in the league. He was awesome. The future's bright for him and a lot of these young rookies. The future is bright. And uh, talking to Trevor Sikama of Locked On NFL Drafts, uh, Trevor, I, the Jaguars carry 16 rookies. And I've been one of those guys for a long time. I said, there's no way that Alabama or any other of the best college football teams could beat 
the worst NFL team, even the 0-16 Cleveland Browns. They lose 50 to nothing. So that was why I thought there's no way a team that has 16 rookies is going to beat an NFL team. And then they go out and they beat an NFL team with 16 rookies. And those guys weren't even all first and, and, and second round picks. Mm-hmm. I know a boatload of area scouts and team scouts. And you know what they say? They do all of this work for two and three years. And then at the last minute, the GMs and the coaches stick their nose in the last three weeks of the process yeah. and totally screw their whole board up, right? <laughs> and, and, and then people say that the draft is all a crapshoot. Well, the area right. scouts say it's not. They just don't listen to us. So with this pandemic and with, this, with them not being able to go out and analyze and paralyze themselves, with teams like Jacksonville doing as good as you say that they just did without mm-hmm. that process, why would they ever go back to the process the way it was? Yeah, uh, pride's probably the big one. You know, like a lot of GMs, they're, they're walking around, they're doing other things, they're handling stuff in the front office, and some of them care more than others. I'll say that for sure. But I think you're right. Often when we go through this process of evaluating talent, these guys making the jump from college to the NFL, the things that always get in the way the most is the information that you just don't know. You know, like, for example, we at the Draft Network, we love to have a, a good base on – anywhere from like four to 500 prospects, you know, 300, we really know really well, but then we like to get some other guys, some basic information on them too. When it comes to projecting a lot of those guys to the NFL, one person say myself, it's hard to know that much about that many guys. And it's hard to do that as one person. When you have a whole scouting staff, you can get all that information. You talk about the area scouts that go into it. Their whole job is just focusing in on one area really knowing it well, the ins and outs of all these players, and then bringing it to the table to uh, then form their draft board. With that being the case, you've got to think that, okay, you've got a pretty good idea of how these guys are going to play in the NFL. But then just like you said, at the last second on draft weekend, a GM or a head coach who some are more involved than others might go, nah, this is my call. This isn't you guys' call. Thanks for the, uh, thanks for the legwork. I'm not going right. to listen to most of it and I'm just going to make the pick. And so it, it, I, I don't know if it's ever going to change too much because I know that there's always going to be a lot of pride from those guys at the top who just want to make the picks. But I will say that, sure, maybe this year is a good, uh, I guess, piece of evidence for scouting staffs and even the lower guys in the scouting staffs that say, hey, listen to us. We're doing, you're paying us to do the work for you. Stick with the big board as it is and, Maybe we will see a little bit more trust with these scouting staffs moving forward. I know James guys has another question for you, but Trevor, you got to know that when the pandemic hit and they knew that these guys weren't going to be able to go out and stick their nose in it, those guys were like kids when their parents go off somewhere. They were probably jumping up and down on the bed, weren't they? It's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like they were jumping up like, we. They're not going to come and mess our board up because, yeah, because yeah. they couldn't. They didn't come out and see it. So, and now you probably see the real the stuff that you guys do. Not I, yeah. the, the, the stuff that you guys do is getting rewarded now. James Robinson, the running back. Somebody right. stood on the table for that kid and told right. him, you better sign it. Yeah. Yeah. And James Robinson, for example, was a guy who I watched. I watched very closely at the East West Shrine Bowl last year. And I watched him and man, he was clearly the best running back there. He just didn't seem to have that like big burst of speed there at the end, that final gear, if you will. So I was like, man, I really like this running back. I hope that somebody gives him a chance. Maybe he's not going to be a starter. And, you know, because of what happened in Jacksonville, he ends up getting a starting spot, but he looked great. You know, again, this is a guy who maybe if you just brushed over the scouting report, you would have said to yourself, eh, 
he doesn't have the top end athleticism. He's not going to be a guy. Let's not take him. Instead, guys in the scouting staff probably were like, hey, I know he's not the fastest guy in the world, but he's a workhorse. He's reliable. He's going to do a lot of dirty work stuff for you. He'd be a great guy to have in the end of the roster and a guy to groom for years, even to play special teams as well. So that's when you give that guy a chance, when you take a chance on that guy, when you know that kind of background information. So perhaps, like you just said, moving forward, you're trusting these guys a lot more. Maybe there'll be a less meddling from the GMs and the guys who are actually making the pick and they can have some trust in the guys that they hired. Trevor, sick him up. Make sure you follow him at Tampa Bay Trey on Twitter. Check out Locked On NFL Draft. Trevor, this is uh, just the first of many, my man. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, I appreciate it, guys. Anytime. All right, thanks a lot, Trevor. Uh, James, man, it, this was real. I, I love getting uh, the draft dudes on that do this all day long because I could just – I could just eat it up, but I know I stole. Yeah, I love the draft too. I, I stole that last <laughs> so, question, but I stole that last. I question. don't care. Don't yeah, I know you. Me. I know you. <laughs> You're good. I know you don't <laughs> have to get that stuff in there. All right, man. So that concludes uh, the uh, uh, Wednesday edition of Locked On NFL. Uh, James Rapine, Tony Wiggins. We'll be back with you next week, and follow us along, of course, on Spotify, and you can uh, uh, always on Google Podcast, and of course, subscribe on iTunes and Apple, and and. Follow uh, Locked On Bengals and Locked On Jaguars on a daily basis to listen to uh, me and uh, James Rapine uh, do our thing and uh, continue to take care of each other uh, while we go through the pandemic and come out of the pandemic. And we will see you guys uh, tomorrow on our regular show. Thank you for joining us.